Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the Real Life Northside podcast. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time, and you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Check out the descriptions for ways to stay in touch or to get involved. Let's take a look at this week's message. Good morning. I am so thankful you're here. If you're in person or online, we're going to be back in Luke 15. Yes, third and final week in Luke 15. Uh, That's toward the end of your Bible. You can find it in the table of contents. Uh, But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself because this passage is really deeply personal to me. Uh, My story is I grew up with a Christian family. My parents went to church. My dad was a pastor or a missionary or uh, an elder at different points in his life. And sometimes I feel like we were a little too Christian. We were always at the church. We were always doing things. Uh, And I grew up with this awareness of who God is, that he loved me. I knew the gospel, that he died for me. And then somewhere along the line, when I got to college, I really learned the deep relational nature of God. And I developed this relationship that I never had to the same extent before. And then something else happened, something weird. I started to wander. I started to stray. I had gone to church all my life. I had read the Bible like a madman. I had prayed. And then I stopped doing all of that. Every single bit of it. I stopped going to church, and I walked away from God for three years of my life. And it wasn't that I didn't believe in him anymore. I couldn't deny him. I had had a personal relationship with him. But I said, I just don't want anything to do with you right now. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to follow you. And that was the most miserable three years of my life. Wandering from him, deep depression, all sorts of things going on. And there were so many different elements that caused me to go down that path. But here I found myself separated from God. I had wandered, I had strayed, and I found myself completely alone, completely isolated. And eventually God did what God does best, and he called me back. And he drew me, and he pursued me, and he chased me. But today, we're going to add another element to our story. We're going to learn that God is not the only pursuer out there. He doesn't leave it right there. Our bottom line for today is he invites us to chase the strays. We're the ones that partner with him to chase the strays. So turn with me if you're not already there, Luke 15, and we're going to look at these parables that Jesus told. He told one parable, actually, which is a story with a moral. It has a point to it that he's trying to convey. And this is one parable with three stories in it. So let's start Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. We talked about these guys in the, a couple months ago. The Pharisees, they believed what's wrong with the world is that people who are supposed to be obedient to God are not being obedient to God. So they see these people selling out to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was brutally oppressing the people of Israel at this time. They sold out and they collected taxes from their own people. There's this other group of people that decided we're going to do things our own way. We're going to reject what God has told us to do. Those are the tax collectors and sinners. So these religious leaders had a choice. How do we engage with these people? And they decided we won't. We're going to insulate and we're going to separate. We're going to get as far away from them as we can. We're going to point fingers at them and say, you're what's wrong with the world. Then comes this Jewish guy named Jesus who starts eating with them. And Jesus loves God and he's following God and he's throwing everything off. They had this nice, neat, orderly little framework. And he's coming, he's mixing things up because he's eating with them. And they took major offense. So Jesus, he tells a story. 
actually a set of three stories. First story goes this way. He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So you get the scene here. It's a sheep in a field. Sheep, not that bright. I think we've talked about that. Sheep are not that bright. Thank you, Jesus, for always referring to us as sheep, right? The sheep sees a patch of green grass and wanders over that way. And then, oh, there's another green grass patch and wanders over that way. And pretty soon, the sheep is totally separated from the flock, right? It's not like the shepherd smacked it with the rod or anything like that. It's not like he did anything. It's not like the sheep was being defiant. Sheep just wandered off because that's what sheep do because, again, not too bright, right? So that's our first story. Jesus launches into the second one. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, so a coin does not have a will of its own. A coin can't choose, you know what, I think I'm gonna go over there. This coin was mishandled, it was misplaced, it was neglected. Something about what the woman did caused this coin to be lost, whether it was intentional or accidental, right? In the second story, the coin is not responsible for wandering or straying, right? The third story, I'm gonna story tell this to you and we're gonna do something a little different with it today. Because Jesus is known as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God, and I promise you, everything he says or does relates back to the Old Testament. That's the first two-thirds of our Bible. Jesus is not telling a new story here with the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. What he's doing is he's retelling a story from our Old Testament, and that's the story of two brothers and a father. The father's name's Isaac, the brothers are named Esau and Jacob. So first, I'm gonna tell you the story of the prodigal son. Then I'm gonna tell you the story of Esau and Jacob. Sound good? Okay, first story, Jesus is telling us, he says there's a father who has two sons. The older son, really diligent son, loves to work, loves to slave away for the family, is all in. This younger son, not so much. The younger son goes to his dad and says, dad, I want my share of the inheritance now. This is an incredibly, deeply disrespectful thing to say because the inheritance only goes out when the father has died. He's going to his dad and saying, drop dead, dad. I want you out of the picture. I want my inheritance now. And the amazing thing is that his father does it. He does it. He sells a third of his property because the older brother gets a bigger share. A third of his property gives it to the son and the son, knowing he's made a big mistake in the sense that he sinned against his family, he gets out of Dodge. He flees, it says, to a far off country. And while he's there, he takes that money and he squanders it in extravagant living. He just spending, not thinking about it, and pretty soon, the money is all gone. Everything he had, he's reduced to nothing. He has this reversal of wealth to the point where he's feeding pigs just to make a living. And 
He's looking at the food the pigs are eating and saying, man, I wish my body could digest that because I am so hungry. Well, he has this moment, and Scripture says he comes to his senses. All of a sudden, everything's made clear. Comes to his senses, and he realizes, my father's hired men, they have more to eat than I have right now. They're better provided for. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to fall in front of my father, and I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he's got this scheme and this plan, and reinvigorated by this, he sets off to go home. But what happens is, is he's still a long way off. His father runs to him. And I'm actually going to read this verse because this is super crucial, and you'll see why here. Luke 15, 20, he arose and came to his father. Now listen to the elements that happen here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran. He embraced him, and he kissed him. Okay, that's going to be really important in a moment. Remember those things. His father runs to him, and he launches into his speech, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father completely ignores him, everything he just said. He turns to his servant and says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on my son. Bring shoes for his feet, bring a ring for his finger, which is a sign of his authority within the family being reinstated. Slaughter the fattened calf, because this son of mine, he was lost. He's found now. He was dead, and he's alive now. So they start celebrating, right? They throw this big feast. Well, the older son is still out in the fields, and he hears the noise, and he sees the festivities, and he asks the servant, what is going on? He says, your brother's back, and your father, he slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And this brother is infuriated. He wants nothing to do with this. He stays out in the field and forces his father to come to him, and the father does, and he says, dad? I have slaved for you my entire life. I've done everything for you, everything. And you didn't give me so much as a goat to celebrate with my friends. And yet this son who's taken your wealth and squandered it with prostitutes, which by the way, the text doesn't actually say that. This son, he's made a mockery of you. You're gonna slaughter the fattened calf. And the father turns to him. He says, my son, You've been with me always, and everything I have is yours, everything, which is true, by the way, because the son took his inheritance and left. Everything goes to the older son now, which might also explain why he's so ticked off, right, because his dad is spending his inheritance to welcome his no-good brother back, right? He says, look, everything I have is yours, but this brother of yours, he was lost, but he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. End of parable, which some of us think is that, that's a, the worst place to end it, right? What happens? But the point is, these, ta- these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're the ones who are the older brother. And Jesus is drawing a line in the sand for them, okay? I promised you a second story. And this story is from Genesis 25 to 33. So you're welcome. I'm not going to read it, right? We're going to tell the story. If you want to go back and, and look at it, please do. There's a father named Isaac, and he has two sons, an older and a younger, of course. Older son named Esau, and he's the man's man. He's big, he's red, he's hairy, he hunts, right? This is like, yeah, this is a man. The younger son, his name is Jacob, and he's kind of bookish. He stays inside, and his father really favors his older son, and Jacob can't stand it. He wants what his older brother has. His older brother, he gets the two-thirds of the share of the inheritance. He gets all these things. 
And Jacob wants that. So what he does is he deceives his brother and takes advantage of him at his lowest place to steal his birthright, his inheritance. Notice we've got this theme of inheritance again, right? Then he deceives his father to steal his blessing. And at this point, Esau is so over it, he is mad. He says, when my dad dies, because he's getting old, right? He's blind. He's going to go soon. I'm going to kill my brother. And you thought your family was dysfunctional, right? Right? I'm going to kill my brother. And here's where God has a great sense of humor. The scripture tells us their father lived to be 180 years old, right? Like, <laughs> he, thought it was, he thought it was tomorrow. Nope, still had a long time to go. Jacob knows he's made a mistake. He knows he sinned, and he knows he's no longer welcome at home. Sound familiar? So what Jacob does is he gets up, and he leaves to a far-off land. While he's in that far-off land, he experiences a reversal of his wealth. In his case, he has nothing and he goes to a lot, but it's a reversal like the prodigal son is. By the way, there are over 50 parallels between these two stories. And eventually, he decides, I have to go home. That's where my home is. That's where my father is. That's where my legacy, my inheritance is. I have to go home. Problem, Esau's still alive, and Esau, he assumes, still wants to kill him. So he starts off going home. And on the way, kind of like the prodigal son, he's figuring out his story. How am I going to make this okay? And he says, I'm going to send ahead all these animals as a gift to my brother, and I'm going to try to butter him up and win him back over. And pretty soon, when he's still a long way off, he looks in the distance, and he sees a man coming with 400 armed men. And if you and I know our story of the prodigal son, we know that's his father. His father, Isaac, is coming to greet him, right, and to fall on his knees and to kiss him. But here's where Jesus does something a little different, because the story in Genesis is not that his father is coming to greet him. It's that his older brother Esau is on the way with these 400 men. So Jacob is terrified. He knows it's over. I can't stand up against that. He's scheming and plotting how do I get out of this. And let me read to you what happens. Genesis 33, 4. Tell me if you have heard this before. But Esau ran to meet him, and he embraced him. He fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. All right? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's with these religious leaders who are pointing fingers and saying, they're what's wrong with the world. They're the problem. He says, you guys know your text. It's the older brother who's supposed to be the welcome wagon. It's the older brother that's supposed to meet the tax collectors and the sinners and welcome them home and chase them and pursue them. It's the older brother, it's you. Of course God's gonna do that, but God invites you in as well. Which is why today we're talking about chasing the strays. Not just that God or the older, the father chases the, the strays, but that you and I, the older brother, are gonna chase them too. And if you're like me, you probably know people in your life and you don't know how you're going to chase them. You don't know even how to begin that conversation or how to draw them in, or even how to pursue. And I'm going to give you three easy steps, all of them out of these parables we just read, for how to do that, okay? Step one, we have to identify who we're pursuing in the first place. Because think about it. In our first parable, we have this sheep. And remember, the sheep just wanders off on their own. I know people like this. I, I started out this way in my story. It's just like, oh, there's so many other things I need to do. Sunday morning's a great time to get things done. I just stop going. I stop going to group. I just start to fade away. It's not malicious. It's not like I'm trying to. It's not like anyone's pushing me. 
I'm just fading away. So there's one group of people that's kind of like that sheep. There's another one that's like that coin. And I have had people in my life like this that I have done something that has offended them, that's wounded them, sometimes really deeply. I'm the one who caused them to go away. Because remember, the coin, there's no fault of the coin. If the person is a coin, there's a different step I have to take to pursue that person. And then the third one is the prodigal son. And the prodigal son said, I'm going to do it my way. You don't get to speak into this. He's defiant. He's deliberately rebellious and sinful. The son says, I can't get far enough away from you. I'm out, right? Here's why this is important. I know many parents, even parents at our church here, who have these prodigals in their life, who have children who they love so deeply and they've pursued so passionately and they've watched them walk away as they get into their older years. And if I have a child like that and I see them walking away, it's very tempting to say, what did I do wrong? And yes, have ownership, right? If there's something that you did do, own it. But if I'm a parent and my child has made their own bed and they're sleeping in it now, and I am blaming myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get caught in a cycle of guilt, shame, and self-condemnation. I'm not going to be pursuing my child the way that God wants me to. I'm going to be so focused on myself, ironically, that I'm of no good to my child. If I don't identify who I'm pursuing, I'm going to pursue them the wrong way, okay? The second step. So first step, identify who you're pursuing. Second step is, and I say this lovingly and at myself, get over yourself. Get over yourself. <laughs> and here's what I mean. If, if it's the situation with the sheep, no harm done, right? It's just a wandering thing. But think about that woman with the coin. I don't know about you. I have a hard time admitting I'm wrong. I have a hard time saying, nope, I did you dirty. I messed up. I sinned. It's my fault that this relationship is broken. And I have to get over myself. I have to recognize, no, I did make a mistake. I made a huge error. I am what's wrong with this relationship right now. There's a moment where I have to say, nope, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm just going to do it. But how about the prodigal son? Look at him. There are two different people in this story. Look at the father. The father just had his son tell him, I wish you were dead. I'd rather you were dead than alive right now. I'm running away. I'm dragging your, our family name through the mud. This is over. And what happens when the son comes back? I said it when I was telling the story. The father ignores all of that. He doesn't hold that over him. He doesn't say, here's the laundry list of your defects. All these things need to change immediately before you come home. These are the reparations you need to make. That's not how the father handles it. The father is so filled with joy that his son has come home, that he runs to him, and he reinstates him fully into the family. The father has gotten over himself. He's swallowed the offense, and he's moved forward. And that is hard. That is so difficult. The older son, it was too hard for him. He saw this, and he knew what his, son, his, his brother had done. And notice the distancing language. He says, your son has done these things. And the father's quick to bring it back. No, it's your brother. He's your brother. Take ownership. He is so offended, so hurt, that he won't have anything to do with him, refuses to go into the party, will not forgive. See, the older brother didn't get over himself, right? He didn't swallow that offense as hard as that is to do. He chose to hold on to it, and what happened is he torpedoed his relationship with his brother, right? We have to learn to get over ourselves, and that's so difficult. I had a guy that was part of the kids' ministry here back when I was the kids' lead, 
loved him a ton, so much potential of who God had made him to be and where he was going. And uh, one day he didn't show up, so I, I shot him a text. I, I called him later that day, nothing, no response. I texted him multiple times through the week, nothing at all. He was, he was ghosting me. He was not responding. So I got a hold of his girlfriend and I asked her, hey, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? She says, nope, you did nothing wrong, but he's asked me to tell you he doesn't wanna hear from you ever again. Don't bother texting him. Don't call him. He's been wounded by church people and he's cutting all of you off. It's over. And in that moment, I had to figure out what am I gonna do, right? What am I going to do? And Jesus reminded me, look, if someone offends you seven times in one day, someone sins against you seven times, and seven times comes back and asks for forgiveness, you're to forgive them seven times. <laughs> and I, I recognized this, and so what I did was I took a deep breath, I got over myself, and I took action. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a minute. And here's the thing, he did come back, and here's the crazy thing, he did it to me a second time. Same thing. And each time, I love this guy so much. And each time, it's like your heart's getting ripped out and stomped on, right? But I had to get over myself again because it's worth it. God looks at those people. Richie talked about this last week. He looks at people who have strayed, including myself, and he says, they're worth it. They have incredible value to me, right? So first, I'm gonna identify who I'm pursuing, right? Second step, I'm gonna get over myself. And then the third and final step here today is I'm going to take action. And this is why it's so important to identify who I'm pursuing, because it's going to be different each time. Think about that person who's like that sheep. They've wandered away, they've strayed, they're off on their own doing their own thing, right? How am I going to pursue them? Easy, text them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to show up at their house or show up at their work or something and say, hey, man, I missed you at men's group on Saturday morning. I I need you. We need you as part of this community, and I just miss you so much. How are you doing? Is there anything I can pray for? Is there anything we can help you with? Just creating a relational bridge again. It's that easy with the sheep. Now, the other ones, not so much, because if I'm dealing with someone who's the coin, someone who I've deeply wronged, and I did this when I was in high school. I deeply wronged a young woman that I knew there who was a high school girl really badly, crushed her spirit, destroyed her in a lot of ways. It was one of my lowest moments ever. And I had to go to her and I had to say, you did nothing wrong. I did everything wrong. I'm owning it. I'm admitting it. Can we be back? And actually, she said no. She says, no, relationship's too damaged, which is, which is a person's prerogative, right? But I have to do everything I do to restore that relationship. I made the mistake. So I, you go and you apologize, Right? The prodigal son is a little bit harder because here's what I know. If you have had prodigals in your life, and I've had many people that categorize that way, where they say, no, I'm out and I'm doing things and I'm wandering and straying from God. If that's the case, it feels hopeless. It feels helpless. It feels like there's nothing I can do because they've chosen their path and they're defiant and they've shut out the world, they've shut out me. And some of you parents in here, you've experienced this with your own kids. And it's so incredibly painful. And my encouragement is, don't give up hope. Because your hope does not depend on your ability to bring them back. Your hope doesn't depend on whether they just kind of figure it out. Your hope depends on whether our God, who is consistent and faithful, is going to pursue them with everything he's got. And I have good news for you today. He's never going to fall down on his part of the job. I'm going to fail. They're going to fail. 
God will never fail me. So what do we do if we're chasing a prodigal, if that's the stray? We pray, and then we pray, and then we pray some more. We get down on our knees and pray, and we wait and watch. And as soon as we see that person coming, we're going to be the one to run out. We're going to be the one to forgive everything, to reinstate them. That's how we chase a person who's a prodigal, which to some people feels really passive, right? Like, I'm not actually doing anything. Of course you are. You're doing the most powerful thing you possibly can, and that's asking God Almighty in all of his infinite power and all of his love to come and pursue that person, right? So the three steps again, number one, you have to identify who it is you're pursuing. Second step, you have to get over yourself. And then the third and final step, take action. Take action. I think about my life, and I look back, and I see, yeah, I I had those three years of my life just flushed down the drain, gone. And that was one of the hardest things when I first came back to God was reconciling that, man, I just wasted those years, years that you could have grown me, years that you could have used me. And I think about it, and I wonder, what if? I was plugged into a church at the time. What if, while I was there, and I didn't show up for group, and I didn't show up for church on Sunday, what if I had been bombarded with people who are like, hey, where are you, Grace, and what are you doing? We miss you. We love you. We need you. You're part of this family. What would have happened if that had occurred? Yes, I could have still walked on my own way and done my own thing, but I don't think I was too far gone at that point. If my community had rallied and they had chased me with the same kind of passion that that father rejoices and chases that younger son, if they had done that, there's a chance that those three years of my life would have never gone away. There's a chance, a chance, that God would have kept me in his family. And that's why I'm so passionate about this, because it's not paid staff. It's not the paid staff who's supposed to do the chasing. It's not the super Christians, whatever that means, right? It's not the super Christians who are supposed to chase the strays. God makes it clear, look, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're in the game. You get to chase him because God has always worked that way. And I talk about it, it's incredibly inefficient that he would choose to use me, right? But that's how he's chosen to do it. And what, what a miraculous thing that he would pick me to continue to chase people. And the good news is he's chosen all of you too. We chase the strays. I think about Jesus as the greatest example of this. Uh, Isaiah 53, it says this, we all like sheep, there it is again, we're sheep, I hate to break it to you. We all like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus, on him, the iniquity, iniquity of us all. He was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his stripes were healed. Jesus chased us. Jesus saw us hopeless, he saw us helpless. And instead of despairing, he said, I'm gonna run and I'm gonna lay down my very life for you. That's Jesus's pursuit of us. We have such a great example in him. So I imagine a world where no one slips through the cracks. I think what if real life, what if we as a family, as a body of believers, because God calls us his family, what if we as a family never let anyone go? What if we all considered it part of our role to greet people and meet people and know the people we sit near every Sunday. And when they're gone, we have their phone number, we have their email, we, 
we know how to reach out to them. Imagine if someone was gone and in one week they were just barraged by text messages, barraged by people who love them and care about them. Imagine with me, uh, that's something I, w- I call awesome, right? That's where we want to be. That's where God wants us to be. We, we often don't make the time, don't make the energy, commit the energy or the mental effort. But here's the thing. God has given us his, his spirit. If you're nervous about this, if you think that's so difficult, the good news is it's not up to you. God's spirit lives inside of you. Now, if you're here today and you're that older brother and you are angry and you are upset and you are hostile, my challenge to you is spend some time with Jesus. He's got to change your heart because that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And then the third group of people in the room today, you might not even know who Jesus is. You might be hearing all of this and saying, man, I wish there was someone to chase me. Good news is there is someone, his name is Jesus. Your next step, if that's you, is to put your faith in Jesus and say, I believe you are who you say you are, and I choose to follow you with the rest of my life. And that first step is to get baptized. That's why we have this tank up here. That's why we celebrate like crazy. Remember what happens when someone comes home in those parables Jesus told? You throw a party, you celebrate. Your next step is baptism. We would love to celebrate with you. So in a moment, when we start the song, you can head to the back. We have Sean at the back, and he would love to get you set up. Man, family, let's do this. Let's go and be Jesus's church. Let's pursue those strays. God, we love you. We're committed all in to your mission. And the crazy thing is, God, everything you're calling us to today and in these passages, it seems so impossible for me because I'm selfish. I want myself in that place of God. I want to be the one who makes the decisions. And so when I look at this and know, okay, God's changing, you're changing my heart. There's so many times I get discouraged, like, man, the gap between where I am right now and that seems overwhelming. But God, what I love so much is you never call us to anything you weren't willing to do first. And the second is you never call us to anything you're not willing to empower us to do. So God, change us. We ask that these hearts that we have would be taken out and replaced with your heart, that the vision we have would be seeing things through your eyes. God, we're so desperate for people who have strayed and wandered to come back to you. Empower us, equip us, and lead us, we pray. We love you, God, with all our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Real Life Northside podcast. We hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. Again, take a look at the description for ways to get connected or get involved. We love you.